0: Hello and welcome to High Tailing Through History. High Tales of History's Tall Tales. Each week, two sisters get together, get high, and like to surprise each other with stories from history. It's a casual hangout. Welcome to our smoke circle. I'm glad you're here. Oh, I've missed you. <laughs> it's episode 25. Have you missed us too? i feel like we've been away for so long katie it has oh, been I, a while that's my co-host over there that's katie
1: <laughs> <laughs> i'm here <laughs> it's not just the laurel show you guys they need to just, wait a
0: whole extra week i know that extra week is it's quite helpful did you have a nice well week? for the me week? yeah
1: i was a lot less stressed out so that was a good thing that's good okay
0: so here we are on our new bi-weekly schedule
1: mm-hmm.
0: i am so excited about the story that i have for tonight i know you <laughs> i'm so I, i'm so excited and it's a big one. So, we should probably Well, let's chat jump about into what it. Got. What are you drinking? Well, Katie, I'm so glad you oh, knocked my weed over. <laughs> so, so glad you asked. I am drinking here. Oh god. ASMR. No. <laughs> beer. ASMR beer. So, I am having a Budweiser. I'm just having a good old classic American beer for my story later. So, I'm just getting into the celebration
1: zone is what i was gonna say how about you um i am finishing up punching your lamp and drinking the rest of my juggernaut but the pinot noir one the one with the sweet ass hawk on it or zen eagle (sighs) and then when this runs out as you can see it's going to because there's like a splash left in there i'm probably gonna switch to that calumet bourbon
0: Oh, yeah. Katie got a Calumet Farms bourbon.
1: I did. I found it. Story last and year. if you're sitting there like, did she just buy it because it had the farm on it? Yes. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> I'm not ashamed.
0: I think christian has got a Calumet or did have a Calumet did he? Yeah. Um,
1: It turns out it's lovely. Yeah. I was sipping on it yesterday and I was like, oh, this is nice. And then I tried the one that uh, one of my customers gave me for a gift, <laughs> which was really sweet. Holy cow, I felt like I got punched in the face. (laughs) I was like... (laughs) Like, the finish on it was so strong. Oh, wow. It felt like someone took a giant encyclopedia and smacked me in the back of the head with it, and then I couldn't breathe. That's how strong the finish was on that. They refer to that as cask strength, which means they didn't put any water in the barrel when they were, you know, not roasting, but what do you call it when it sits in there in Nature's or whatever? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, when you roast your whiskey, yeah, ferment, that's the word I'm looking for. No, I mean, it ferments. Yeah, okay. Seasons, ages, if you will. Ages, it ages. Yeah, you know, when you roast your whiskey, excuse me, this is bourbon, but regardless, yeah, it smacked me in the face, and I mean, hard, and like, <laughs> Blake goes, well, I'll just make a Manhattan out of it, and I tried it, normally I cringe at those, right? I tried it. I was like, oh, it's lovely. He's like, yeah, because it's not, you know, like reaching out and punching you in the throat. I was like, indeed, it is not. So, juggernaut. And then I'll switch to calumet. Which, if you're sitting there thinking, shouldn't you go the opposite way? Again, dear listener, you're correct. And no, I'm going to do it backwards.
0: (laughs) I was going to say, there's no reasoning with her. It's fine. Just uh, don't try and talk her out of it. She's going to whine and then whiskey. Shall we duel? Bottle, leaf, grinder, shoot.
1: Oh, you bottled me. She crushed my grinder. All right, take it away. Tonight,
0: Katie, friends, I have a story that I've been excited about since we started the podcast.
1: Loved ones. (laughs) Loved
0: ones. (laughs) Katie,
1: friends ants all loved ones familial and otherwise because the fact that people are willing to listen to us week after week makes them sort of dear to me i love it okay
0: been excited about this since we started the podcast and this is one of those stories that if you only saw it as a movie you'd be watching it like all right hollywood just calm the fuck down with your (laughs) nonsense
1: because (laughs) the amount of times i've said that
0: (laughs) Because it just seems made up. Like, you would just be like, all right, this is ridiculous. And it's actually, it is going to be made into a movie. It's currently in filming right now, I believe. And the star of the show is going to be Zac Afron.
1: What? I'm in. <laughs>
0: I'm so thrilled. Whoa. I listen, I
1: grew up in the high school musical era, and I am not ashamed to say it. I was like I 11 when they came out, so... Yeah.
0: No, I, I think he's great. I think he will do well with this part. So if you'd like to imagine Zach Efron as the main character tonight, you can do Possibly so. Possibly shirtless.
1: It <laughs> Sorry.
0: All right. You do what you want with that. <laughs> but no, none of this is made up. And in fact, it is a truth story told from the man himself who lived it, Mr. John Donahue. And his book, The Greatest Beer Run Ever, a memoir of friendship, loyalty, and war. And that's pretty much my only source. For the story <laughs> because
1: I'm like is it, uh, right from the right written the by him right mouth. what's that it's written by him uh-huh. that's a good source that is allowed <laughs> right
0: exactly I figure this is like as primary as you're gonna get I guess right
1: short of him sitting here telling us yeah. <laughs> yeah being that it's about beer I have cracked a
0: cold cold one for the story tonight I saw that and I'm gonna to tell you how this crazy little idea came about in the first place We got to start in a bar, of course. As all great stories do. As all great stories start. I'm going to take you to a bar called Doc Fiddlers, and it's in the predominantly Irish, Catholic, and Jewish neighborhood of Inwood, which is on the northern tip of Manhattan, New York City. Okay. Yeah. Like NYC, baby. That's where we're at for this story. Inwood has forests and even still does today. So it's not the concrete jungle necessarily Mm -hmm. of Manhattan like you would think. It's still got a little bit of its forests and parks
1: a little central park thrown in there well yes exactly
0: ish and it is a neighborhood everyone knows everyone keeps an eye out for each other and their kids the older siblings look after the younger ones and everyone's playing all free and in the wild <laughs> and then they come back home at the end of the night for dinner that kind of thing
1: uh but the mom has to step outside and yeah. scream that dinner's ready or it's yeah. not how it's supposed to be.
0: <laughs> or the streetlights go on.
1: Uh-huh. That's
0: the kind of scene that we're we're setting here. Your friend's younger brother was also like your younger brother, that kind of thing. I lived this. <laughs> yeah. And it's in this tight-knit neighborhood that Doc Fiddler sits. As we walk into the bar, it's November 1967. The big guy tending bar is the Colonel. That's what everybody calls him. But his name is actually George Lynch. And he's not an actual colonel. Oh, okay. <laughs> he is a vet. He went into the military as a private and came out as a private. But he loves history. He loves the bar. Most of all, he loves the hell out of this country. And he's commandeered one of the empty lots next to the bar to erect one of those massive flagpoles with one of like, the giant American flags. And every day he is ceremoniously putting up the flag and taking it back down again. Mm-hmm. And he organized the Memorial Day and Fourth of July parades for the neighborhood, in which he used his contacts to get the Marines and NYPD pipes and drums of the Emerald Society to
1: oh, cool. come in March,
0: which is really cool. Around the corner from the bar, his place was known as the Barracks, and he owned two Army <laughs> surplus beds, one for himself and then a spare in case there was a vet whoever needed it. For the men coming back from the war, they retreated like royalty. I mean drinks on the house, a bed if you need it. You could come and crash anytime you needed a place to stay. This man is in it, mm-hmm. the colonel. So we're gonna grab a
1: couple seats at the bar,
0: right up here. Just belly up.
1: Not hard to do when you're four eleven, but yeah. yeah. <laughs> More like you chest put your up. little face on the yeah, uh, just rest <laughs> on my the bar. chin on
0: it. Yeah. And so we're gonna grab a couple beers here. I'm gonna here we go. Cheers. Cheers at dog fiddlers. Ding. Mm-hmm. So we're settling in. We take our first sips. Or you know what? If you want to down it and get a second one right <laughs> away, that's okay too. We might all be in my imagination world right now, but you still have some autonomy. <laughs> <laughs> I want to give you a, a little bit of freedom here. Okay. So a lot of the guys are watching the news coverage on TV of the war, the Vietnam War. Yeah. When JFK was still alive and in office, there were about 16,000 troops over in Vietnam to attempt to stop the spread of communism in the country. Now that Lyndon B. Johnson has inherited the war, he has increased the number to half a million troops. that's a huge difference. Yeah. Now, at first, there were a number of young patriotic men who enlisted to help their country. They're like, yep, sign me up. I will go and help. However, aside from the Civil War... The Vietnam War is probably the most divisive war we've had. You
1: hear a lot of uh, differing opinions on it. Yeah. I also was taught that it was the first televised war. Mm-hmm. So that's where people said it really, why it lost support, because people could see kind of the horror of war for the first time. So yeah.
0: that's what I was taught about it. And that's that's what's happening right now. We're all watching it on the television, the mm-hmm. nightly news and the reports from what's happening over across the... Other side of the world. Okay, A lot of people, particularly young people who were of age to fight, they didn't agree with the war. And then, you know, were protesting it. And then let's face it. I mean, the ones that were fighting, they're kids. I mean, they're 17, 18 years old, uh, either enlisting or drafting right out of high school or getting drafted right out of high school. Taking a parent with them to help them fill out their forms, to even sign a permission slip if they were underage, if they're 17, to enlist. Wow. A permission slip. Like, they're taking a field trip to the jungle. That kind of thing. It's like... It's not a field trip, but yeah. No, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's just a permission slip. Like, they're they're these boys are these kids are going off to potentially die. Or at least putting that risk on mm-hmm. their lives. And their parents like, oh, yeah, I'll sign a permission slip. I don't know. It's just, it's just so...
1: There's a very different... You know what yeah. a good representation of that for me is? Is when you're watching Captain America. How... You know how, like they portray it i feel like is really accurate how war and like fighting for your country was always portrayed up into Mm -hmm. the televising um you know how they were all like everybody did it and steve was the only one left out and they were all proud to serve their country and that was just what they did when they came of age yeah i think it's a lot like that i think that's a good kind of puts you and that's just how it was then you know
0: well, yeah, and then again, some of these guys are like, "No, I want to go. I want to do this." And mm-hmm. if they were seventeen, yeah, their parent had to sign a permission slip. But if they're young and they don't really know, all the mom or dad came with to help them with their forms and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's just like, no, they realize how young everybody is here. That's well, they're young, putting their their lives out there. So now that there's not only a draft, but the draft has been, the draft maximum age has been raised to twenty six, and now includes fathers. So before, if you were, like, a young father, then you weren't included in the draft. But they raised the age to 26, and if you're a father, you could still be eligible to be drafted. I did not
1: realize the draft was enacted for Vietnam.
0: Yes, which was why it was, like, such a— Heavily protested. Yeah.
1: Now, when was the other draft for World War II? Two?
0: Okay. I I looked up something about that to see, like, how many times the—I mean, yeah, the draft was definitely for World War II. I think that was the last time it was enacted. War protesters are furious. Some tried to dodge the draft, which is actually when you say like you were surprised about the draft being enacted during the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. That was actually one of the big things was draft dodging. Like a lot of people trying to go up to Canada. Mm-hmm. To, and you'll hear you that. You know what? About.
1: I should have known this. Jimi Hendrix was drafted. Mm -hmm. For Vietnam. He was a paratrooper. Yep. He broke his ankle training and he could not go. And it was something actually he regretted because all his like these, this brotherhood he formed with his squad Mm -hmm. or squadron or whatever they were considered in the paratroopers because it was the army, um, went without him. And that was something that he wrestled with a lot during his young life because he was over here making music, but, like, meanwhile, there's still a war going on that he wasn't able to go and fight. when he was going to. He wasn't totally against it, if I remember correctly. He was like, all right, this is what I'm going to do mm-hmm. kind of thing. So, yeah.
0: You got that right. Yep. Jimmy was drafted into the Army for Vietnam. So war protesters are furious. Some people are trying to dodge the draft. But most do go, you know, because, again, it's illegal to, to dodge. But uh, most of them were going to the draft offices and just doing what— Uncle Sam was asking of them. However, as rage at the war went on, protesters started to turn their anger on at the GIs themselves.
1: Mm, that's not okay. which is
0: misplaced, you know, because it's not their fault. I mean, they're, they're probably just as angry that they're being sent to they go, you know. No it's just choice. kind of misplaced anger there. Inwood alone already buried 28 guys from the neighborhood and everyone comes out to the funeral. Wow. All right. Colonel slams his mug down on the the bar. That he was drying, slaps his dish towel over his shoulder, and he's pissed as he's watching the protesters harassing the GIs walking into the draft offices. Someone ought to go over there to Nam, track down our boys from the neighborhood, and give them a beer. Yeah, they should. Everyone's yelling in the bar. Is it right, Katie? Everyone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. We're all part of the. <laughs> Are you feeling it? Do you oh, feel I'm it there? Okay. Someone needs to tell our boys that we're still thinking of them and appreciate what they're doing out there. Yeah, 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 clink, clink, ting, clink, 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 fully, fully, fully.
1: There we go. Oh, oh. <laughs> sorry, boats. <Bose. laughs> Doc's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> she was
0: just getting into it. <laughs> oh, shit. Hey, Chicky. The colonel's now yelling in our direction, okay, so we feel <laughs> the attention turn our way. You got your Z card? Let me have it. I'm gonna go over there right now. George, you can't have my Z card. The young man sitting next to us at the bar is the main character of our story. Twenty six year old marine veteran now merchant mariner, John Donahue, also known as Chick. The Z card that they're talking about was a special card given to merchant mariners that worked like a passport. So it allows you to come and go in and out of countries as you please, and as you're as you're working on the boats. And the colonel's now intently staring at chick and he's fully serious about totally this. Mm-hmm. all right george i'll tell you what you give me a list of the names of the guys and where they are and i'll bring them a beer next time i'm over there and thus it begins quote unquote the greatest beer run ever within 24 hours the news had spread like wildfire when chick goes into the bar the next evening the place is completely packed People are trying to get names to him of those currently in Vietnam. They're like, "Oh, uh, put put so and so on there, yeah." And this guy, he's like, "Yes, Mrs. Collins, I'll put Tommy on the list. He's an MVP or he's an MVP. He's a he's an MP." Yes, ma'am, I'll tell him to write to you when I find him. You know, like uh, the moms are coming in. They're like, you know, tell him make sure oh. he's eating, and you know, tell him to write to me and stuff. So, it's really sweet, Mrs. Collins. Hey, Chicky, make sure Ricky Dugan's on there. He's with the First Air Cavalry. Oh yeah, Richard Reynolds. Yeah, Second Lieutenant. And the Marines and Kevin—he's back there as a private contractor. Get him on the list. Oh, yeah. Uh, Joey McFadden, Bobby Pappas. So he gets a list of about six names.
1: Oh, well, that's it? Yeah. Well, I expected six hundred. <laughs> <laughs> I was in there. This is just
0: a little Inwood neighborhood, like just okay. like having the bar. It's still. I was
1: like, yeah. oh. The next day, he
0: packs a little bag of just the essentials. We're talking the next day, and he's just like he like his toothbrush it has got his toothbrush, like a a razor, and maybe some undies. Yeah, it's like a little tiny bag. Just the essentials. And he heads on over to the National Maritime Union Hall on 7th and 13th. In the book, Chick has a lot of good things to say about the Maritime Union and how much it did for sailors. And he talks about how much it did for him in his time as a merchant mariner as well as for the other guys. And he has a lot of good things to say about them. And it also really helps him in his upcoming Adventure that he's about to embark on. So it's worth noting. It's good that the union exists and is helping this guy out because
1: (laughs) they were instrumental.
0: (laughs) It was instrumental, Hmm. yes. In the hiring hall, positions and ships are listed. And then in the auditorium, everyone looking to head back to sea and get a job out there sits in the auditorium and they listen to the ships and the destinations being read out, which I had no idea this is how that worked. And I'm going to read a little bit from page 18 it's kind of fun ss manhattan going to the gulf so it's like a one of the oil tankers going back to the persian gulf and so, but that's the information that you got and you're like oh okay that ship's going this direction i okay. might jump on there um ms alameda going coastwise it's like a merchant ship going along the east coast so as the ships and destinations are being called out chick hears the drake victory which were a series of 531 ships built for World War II that were now back in service and being used to haul ammunition supplies to Vietnam. The open position was for an oiler in the engine room, and he just signs up on the spot. He's like, yep, as long as it's taking me to Vietnam, I'll do whatever position you need. The Drake Victory is docked a small distance away from the Union Halls, and it leaves in an hour, so he's, like, just booking it over there. And there's a bar nearby. He goes in the bar, and he picks up a case of New York beers, Hmm. You know, brands, New York brands, as he calls them, that's going to, you know, remind the boys of home. Okay. But he says PBR and Schlitz, and I'm like, I'm pretty sure those are Wisconsin beers. PBR? Isn't it? Pabst Blue Ribbon? Because I thought that was in Milwaukee. Miller Lights and up there Budweiser
1: too. are, but I don't know that. Budweiser is St. Louis, I thought. Is it? I just know that Originally. they've got a big plant up there. They do.
0: I mean, they, everyone kind of has a plant everywhere now, I guess, but.
1: It's so hard for me to know because historically where these places started was long before I ever was born, so. Oh, oh, I know that Miller <laughs> is a big Milwaukee thing, though. Like, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Well, Miller's, Miller's definitely yeah. Wisconsin, right? Mm hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, I you impressed from. me. I was like, I don't fucking know where, where it's
0: from. Schlitz is on there too. I thought if you look up where Schlitz <laughs> is from, it's going to also say Milwaukee. Damn. Do it. Well, now I want to know. Now I want to know how right I am. So we got PBR, Schlitz, Schaefer, Peels, Valentines, and Ryan Gold, just in case you're curious. And as he walks towards the dock, he stops to pay a phone to call his mom. He lets her know that he's going to be taking a job and will be gone for a little while and therefore won't be there for Thanksgiving. But that he'll call her when he gets back. He doesn't tell her where he's going. And in the back of his mind, he's realizing there's the possibility that he might not ever come back. He's got to just tell her goodbye and I love you for potentially the last time.
1: Yikes. Slightly younger, 1849, founded in. I want to hear you say it Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Boom. Milwaukee
0: is Algonquin for the good land. Is it really? Wayne's World. <laughs> a really obnoxious thing i think milwaukeeans probably really hate but i have to do it every single time i, say oh, I don't care Milwaukee. it's I funny i've Milwaukee. only seen wayne's
1: world once in my life and i have to tell you it was it did not disappoint no no like it it's doesn't. actually funny
0: It. i mean a lot of the saturday night live movies are garbage sorry are not so great really um i don't know what crappy, they are but, okay. but wayne's world knocks it out of the park but no milwaukee is called beer town it's considered the beer capital the i kind of just
1: figure there's just beer like or it's next- actually
0: called america's drunkest city which i mean oh, take whatever uh, title you want i guess milwaukee but yeah i, I hope that's like tongue-in-cheek because kind of, i
1: hope so because that's kind, kind of they always say oh yeah Beertown, it's obviously
0: McQuanico. no i'm just kidding
1: <laughs> <laughs> um
0: so anyway milwaukee
1: now where are we going oh yeah that's right we're on a ship We're on a ship to Vietnam. We're nowhere near Milwaukee. We are in the ocean.
0: (laughs) We are in the ocean. So here we go. Everyone's settling. We have a long voyage to the other side of the world to, like, stretch out, grab a bunk, have a little smoky smoke, get comfortable, crack a cold one, whatever you want to do, because we are aboard the Drake victory. Chick volunteers for the job of the ship's union chairman, which was easy because no one likes dealing with union paperwork. And Chickie is a smart man, along with having ownership of bucket loads of moxie. He knows that the ship captains usually give the union chairman a wide berth and a little more leeway because they don't want to somehow get into a tangle with the union chairman on the ship and have to deal with a dispute. And if he's planning on going ashore for some time for this beer run, he's going to need some leeway. He's going to need his work shifts covered. So he works a bunch of overtime so he can trade shifts with people. While we're on board the Drake victory, not very much happens. But we do learn about Chick's military history. So just as a little background information, he was a Marine. I think he was a Marine for about four years. And for five months, he was in the Philippines and in Guantanamo, Cuba. And then pretty much for most of the rest of the time, he was stationed in Japan. And he just like really fell in love with Japanese
1: culture and a Japanese woman. Just sweet. Was a Marine, Laurel?
0: You're always a Marine.
1: Indeed. Yeah. Who Never brought? forget it. Do you know how many Marines I'm friends with? Yeah. <laughs> Quite a lot. If I ever say that, they're like, um. Oh,
0: excuse me? You're, know, like, you're right. like, you are I so know. right. You are so, so right. I'm sorry about that. All right. Land. Land Ho. They docked on January 19th, 1968. Let's keep the timeline. It's a short timeline, but just mm-hmm. so you can kind of understand how much gets fit in here yeah. <laughs> in a short period, period of time. They dock January 19th, 1968 in South Vietnam's Queen Yan Harbor. So, if you want to picture Vietnam, in case no one has like Vietnam geography at the forefront of their brain right now, think of—I've heard it described as like a, a dog bone. So it gets really thin in the middle, and then it kind of curves out on, on each end. It's kind of like that, but in a bent comma shape.
1: Yeah, I was to say that's a fair assessment. Yeah.
0: If you think of like North Vietnam, it kind of goes up, it bubbles up over the top. So you kind of like a sort of triangle shape at the top and it goes down and gets skinny through central Vietnam and then it starts to widen back out again when you get to the south.
1: Honestly, Vietnam reminds me more of like a kneecap. Yeah. And a hip.
0: (laughs) Okay. And then partway down, when it gets to that skinny part, that's where the DMZ was, the, the dividing line between the north and south of Vietnam. Oh, and then what would say Ho Chi Minh City down in the south part. That city it, during the war here is going to be Saigon. It had a name change. It was Saigon during this time. It was so Saigon. Part of the south that we were was in Da Nang.
1: See so if you go up the coastline. I see it. Yeah. I boom, I found it right away. And so then if you go up even
0: further, you're going to see, and it'll be on the coast too. It's, a, it's called HUE, um, H-U-E. Yep. So that's the Imperial City. And then just like, I don't know, go a little bit above that. And that was where the DMZ line was. That sort of area. With his shifts covered, Chick asks the captain for permission to go find his stepbrother, who is fighting there, to personally deliver some bad news. Chick doesn't have a stepbrother. But he has what he tells his captain. I'm here to see my stepbrother and let him know some bad news. Now, the captain obviously is not wanting to let one of his men get off the ship and not help unload the cargo and whatever but he's like i've got my shift covered i'll just need a few days and the captain says all right you have the weekend you have three days donahue and you be back at 0800 on monday and for the love of god please don't die i don't want to have to deal with the paperwork he grabs his little bag his beers from the fridge and he gets half of his pay that he's earned so far on the voyage so union rules, you get paid for whatever for whatever point you got on the ship to getting off again. You get half of the pay that you've earned to that point. So he's got a good chunk of change there. And he catches a ride with some MPs heading back to shore after their shift on his boat. So the military police were a big presence at the harbors because the ships were literal huge targets with their supplies and ammunition. They were under threat of small boats coming up and planting explosives on them. All the time. Or, you know, someone just even standing at the tree line and shooting a rocket at the ship. Yeah. So the the military police, the MPs, they have to be patrolling the grounds around the harbor. They're on boats patrolling the waters. They go on the ships and they're, you know, checking everything out, making sure everything's cool. And they're taking shifts.
1: Vietnam was an insane place, wasn't it? It just comes off as very brutal to me. Well. But that could be the war it's, itself. The war itself was awful. Yeah.
0: I just hear the craziest
1: stories, and I'm like, what? And it's jungle, and it's
0: guerrilla fighting. Mm -hmm. In in some ways, in terms of – this isn't an apples and oranges sort of comparison, but Mm. whenever I think of guerrilla fighting or militias and stuff like that, you can make the comparison of – The Revolutionary War. Yeah, the Revolutionary War. That's always what I think of. Because sometimes I think people will kind of think like – Oh, the Viet Cong or these guerrilla, this crazy stuff. And you're like, no, they're the, they're the farmers and the people that tend to the lands and well, they have natives, their families. Essentially. They're the people that live in the area. Yeah, that's how I
1: – No, um, but militia is a good way of saying because they yeah. kind of have to take up arms and – So it's a completely different fighting style. They don't have like land, a yeah. military – Well, it's exactly how fighting was done here. That's what I'm saying. When America was being settled. So yeah, I see what you're like – Hide behind the trees and shoot at the British because mm-hmm. they were dumb enough to walk up in rows and make it easy for you.
0: We know the land. We know our geography
1: yeah. and the layout of things and that kind of yeah.
0: set up. So, yeah, that's what they did It's just one they of those, like, mind.
1: anytime I hear it, I'm like, this was such a poorly conceived idea. <laughs> There's a
0: lot of bad ideas with this war, unfortunately.
1: And maybe that, I think sometimes when the logistic comes into it, that's why it sounds extra bad when I hear all the stories about it. Yeah.
0: Which is a nice sounds, story, though. It just so. su- yeah,
1: this is probably one of the few good ones.
0: So Chick is sitting with these MPs on the boat, and he notices that they are in the same company as Tommy Collins, one of the guys on his list. Remember, he was like, Mrs. Collins, I'll have you boy right you, you know, yeah. And wouldn't you know it, they're actually on their way to relieve him right now. <laughs> <sighs> so Chick's like, Hell yeah, this is amazing. Striking lucky we're out the gates. And when Tommy sees Chick, he's like, what the hell are you doing here, Chickie? Which is like what everyone says, Mm -hmm. right? And Chick hands him a beer and says, this is for you from the colonel, me, and the rest of the guys. We thought someone should come over here and give the boys from the neighborhood a beer. Let you know we appreciate what you're doing. And so here I am. I know. I had a lot of feelings in this book. It's so sweet. Tommy takes Chick back to his barracks. And Chick tells the guys, we're going out. It's on me. (laughs) Wow, beers <laughs> around me because he's got his half of his pay.
1: That was probably gone. Not just yeah.
0: <laughs> and all the irony of that of the soldiers drinking over in Vietnam was that back home the drinking age was twenty one, as it is oh. still to this this day. Uh-huh. But the voting age was also twenty one, and so that's the big thing that you'll hear with the Vietnam War a lot was kind of like that too young to vote and have a drink but Not too young to die for the country yeah, that they it's kind of the can't.
1: argument I put forth, but yeah,
0: yeah. And so it wasn't actually until the 26th amendment came around, it was like 1971 that it brought the voting age down from 21 to, to 18. 18. Okay, mm-hmm. um,
1: so what is the drinking age in Vietnam then? <laughs> Can you see over the bar? Yeah, I mean, cool. it's I think it's technically like it's 18, but okay, yeah, I mean. But they're not going to question you if you look old enough and you can see over the bar. Yes. Like, they're like, it's yeah, you look 18. They're not IDing people. I've... <laughs> I've never been ID'd in Southeast Asia. <laughs> oh, you weren't? Oh, look known. at that. And that means Thailand or Vietnam. Well,
0: I especially won't get carded now. I look too old. Oh. <laughs> so, I mean, the drinking is one thing, but not being able to vote is a real bummer. Yeah. You know, so they didn't really have a say in what their government... Or, you know, at least feel like you have a say. Like, they feel like you can just put your vote in there mm-hmm. and say, hey, I don't makes agree a with this, you know? So one of the guys they're out drinking with is this huge Texas guy. A Texan, as you okay. would say. And he's with the First Air Cavalry. uh uh-huh. ha! One of the guys on his list, Ricky Dugan, is with the First Cavalry, particularly Bravo Company. So, again, what luck.
1: <laughs> I was going to say he's striking pretty lucky. <laughs> I, as I'm saying,
0: there's some stuff, like, where I read this book and I was like... Seriously, this is this is what's going on. Like one day he's like, oh, yeah, I'll do it next time I'm over there. But next I guess day I would assume up.
1: the military wouldn't like if the environment is as hostile and harsh as it seems, I would assume they wouldn't all be that far from each other. I don't know where we were militarily or any. Yeah, of that. pretty like, much
0: all through the stretch of. Southern Southern Vietnam there really is, is kind of where the story takes place. OK, he goes up to where that DMZ was. All the way down to Saigon. Oh,
1: wow. So, he in three stretches. days?
0: Well, yeah, in the course of the time that he's there. Yeah. Wow. It takes a long time to even get from North Vietnam. We were in Hanoi. We took a plane down to like Da Nang, I think it was. And it was like two and a half hours. Oh, wow. And that was from top to halfway, something like that. I want to say it was like two, two and, and a half hours. It's not small. No, it's a Mm -hmm. very, very long country. It gets like 30 miles wide at one point. So skinny, but still long. It's a very long country, yeah. Okay. The Texan's like, yeah, I know where Bravo Company is. And I have a mail run going up there tomorrow at 0800. So if you can find your way here to the airfield, then you can come with. So already he's having a drink. He's found this first guy. He's having drinks with them. And he's got his next ride lined up to find the next guy on his list. It's all smooth. Now, the guys party all night. They close the bar down, and then they take more drinks back to the barracks where they proceed to sit outside drinking and singing Irish folk songs. Because why not? (laughs) The noise, however, gets the attention of a lieutenant who comes over and is like, What on earth is going on here, soldiers? Now, Chick, I'm assuming drunk, loses his damn mind and snaps back, (laughs) Lieutenant, on what authority are you questioning these men? We are on a particular mission here tonight, and I suggest you return to your barracks. And he does. (laughs) Holy shit. He goes back. He goes back to his barracks, and he doesn't say another word. Silence. All the guys are looking at him wide-eyed. Well, WTF just happened? Right. what? Because Chick has no authority to do do that whatsoever. No, no, no. no. He has no...
1: Chick hitchhike here, for Christ's sake, like... (laughs)
0: It would be like me, like, turning around and yelling at a lieutenant just because I felt like it. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, my God. It would not go down well. But because of how Chick is dressed, like a tourist, basically, hmm. the lieutenant thought he was CIA. Oh. Now, this isn't weird in itself that CIA is there because the CIA CIA had been operating in Vietnam since the 50s, trying to, like, turn the government to- away from communism. And oh, to, okay. Trying to... Turn the tides before the war began, you know
1: what I mean? Yeah, you know, no, I got wink, you. Wink. I just didn't actually realize they had that much of a presence there, so this is news to me. Yeah, so CIA is already there, and you'd see them every once in a while,
0: and they were basically plain clothes Americans <laughs> looking like civilians, <laughs> or their, their chick, right? Or their chick, chicks not being in uniform, actually, any sort of uniform, and just being in plain clothes is a huge win. For him, actually, because this whole CIA effect, as he calls it in the book, does a lot for him about <laughs> okay. this adventure coming up. And, in fact, I think that if people didn't think he was CIA, then the whole beer run probably wouldn't have even happened. Like, he wouldn't have gotten very far. Yeah. But every time he's stopped or questioned by any of the military officers, he uses this CIA effect and or the stepbrother story to get where he wants to go. Just... Wow! Like I said, he's got bucket loads. He's on a mission moxie. for God.
1: Laurel is what's yeah. happening here. That's why he had he's such luck. He's just like I'm just gonna do with this, and
0: here I go. Oh, eight hundred the next day, probably hungover. I can only imagine. Oh my God! If he's he might even still be drunk if they were going all night. <laughs> I'm thinking so. Chick actually makes it to the airfield, catches a ride with the Texan up to Anki in the Jalais province. So now we're way up. Well, we're much further north. Okay. from where he was. Unfortunately, when he gets to where Bravo Company base camp should be, so he leaves the airfield, goes to where their base camp should be, nobody's there. No choppers, not really oh, any people. Shit. There's like a sergeant there that's just kind of like wrapping shit up, I guess. Helicopters have moved out. And the sergeant tells him that they've already moved on to their next location, but there's a mail run headed up there in an hour. Chick asks him, "Can I get on that? And the sergeant's like, well, you're fucking here already, aren't you? Like, just, yeah. you know, and that's, that's the thing, too. People are so in the war and just being yeah. slogged down with that the entire time that they're like, whatever you're doing, man, whatever, yeah. you know. But mm-hmm. again, also probably thinking he's CIA. And if the CIA agent wants to go and do whatever, you let him go and do do whatever. Yeah, you, you don't know? ask. So Jake's Ch- so back on the road trying to get to the airfield. And he's like, you know, walking along. And he's realizing with everyone gone just how silent it is and how like even oppressive the silence is. You know, just being used to sound all the time and then there's no sound. Oh, because he's a city
1: kid. That's why I'm sitting there and I'm like, this is peaceful. What are you talking about? Well, no, it's just if you've
0: got your cavalry's helicopters kind of buzzing around or whatever, it's like one thing. When you're in the jungle in the Vietnam War with potential Viet Cong yeah, hiding the trees all around you. Quiet sometimes isn't what you want to hear necessarily either. I see your you know. So,
1: so it's just kind of. So you and curious. I would be like, "Oh, this is paradise. No people. <laughs> Silence." Meanwhile, he's shitting his pants. Yeah, I mean, you just
0: kind of don't want it. I mean, he's he, this guy's rarely worried about much of anything in this entire book. He's just he so was drunk. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> free. Um, I you know he worries about some things, but he's just that he's not like constantly head on a swivel. I yeah. feel. I would be or anybody else would be just kind a little of like bit more, more high alert more, for sure yeah, yeah. Like or watching your surroundings i suppose but anyway chick don't give a fuck <laughs> <laughs> so after a while a jeep is flying up behind him down the road and there's three guys in it and they're like hop in we're in a hurry but we never pass by an american and he's like oh well hey thanks guys they take him to the airfield, and they're like so what are you doing out here <laughs> in the middle of nowhere He's like, well, I'm trying to find someone. They're like, well, this is a hell of a place to try and find somebody there, mister. You know? Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of weird.
1: Like you said, in the middle of the Vietnam jungle. Yeah.
0: Looking the way you do. And he starts to kind of explain the story a little bit. And the driver, who at that point hadn't turned around yet, looks back and goes, Chicky? Chicky, what the hell oh, are you doing shit. here? He finds another guy on his list. Yeah. This is Kevin McLoon. So Kevin McLoon. Was a Marine for four years, starting in 1963 with the Raging Bulls Chopper Squadron. Okay. So he worked helicopters before. Now, you're like, wait a second, a cavalry unit and helicopters? Because I know you're my horse, the no, horse No, cavalry
1: went to helicopters. Yeah, I All know right. about it. All right, whatever. I was going to try and give you a cool fact. That's fine. Oh, you can give me a cool fact. I'll sit okay. for it. Okay, so
0: up until <laughs> the through part of World War II, the cavalry was a horse unit still. And then it became helicopters. So now the cavalry rides in on choppers.
1: Mm-hmm. And they still do.
0: And when they still do. Right. Good work, Katie. Thank you. <laughs> so, so Vietnam was one of the – was really the first, like, helicopter war. It was televised. And then you also have the use of the helicopter in a much grander fashion. Yeah. So instead of being strictly transport of either people or, you know, some equipment and medevacs, it's now you are armed. You have – Guys that can fit in there and gun mm-hmm. out the sides. You've got rockets and other helicopter shooty things on there. They had
1: a big old role in the war.
0: I don't really know helicopter stuff.
1: <laughs> Technically, it's a conflict. We only call things wars if we won them. Oh. Did you not know that?
0: That's good. No, I, that's, that's probably good to...
1: So it's the Vietnam really? conflict. And so
0: all these countries that have wars upon wars upon wars oh, upon wars. Oh, I said wars. that's
1: what the United States did. I don't know what anybody else did. The United States doesn't like to admit its own failings, you know. Oh, yeah, yet.
0: no. Okay. That makes You're sense. You're well
1: then. aware of that, right? Yeah. okay. <laughs> Listen, not that I, like, necessarily lack love for my country. I'm myself fiercely patriotic, but I'm also not blind to our imperfections. Yeah. <laughs> we don't like to admit no, our, our faults, Laurel. Have you met should. our government? <laughs> <laughs> squints
0: at dc um so kevin had come back to vietnam but this time as a private contractor to work on a safety issue that had been plaguing the helicopters oh shit all their communications were on fm radio which anyone can get right it's basically just like tuning in and getting like tuning getting britney spears but then you just tune just a little bit further and then you can get communication yeah so it's really easy (laughs)
1: Yes, the Viet Cong were just tuning in to make sure they knew where to go for that day. and then just shooting people down because it was so
0: easy to do. I mean, it makes sense, right?
1: I mean, what else would you do? Exactly. That's what you're
0: trying to do. And it it was costing so many lives. So they brought these guys on to scramble radio signals, and they had to be fitted into each of these helicopters. Yeah. So that's what Kevin's doing there. I mean, Chick, seriously, he's got this horseshoe up his ass. He's so lucky because— he, then he hands all three of the boys a beer in the Jeep. They're probably getting a little bit warm by this point. I don't know. Probably. <laughs> and and then. Uh, How much beer did he bring? He, it says he brought a case. But he keeps giving beers to guys. Because he, he says at one point, he's like, I can get American brands like Budweiser, or Miller over there. Yeah. But I wanted to bring New York ones. So I'm wondering if so he like, maybe just picked up some, you know, stuff. Okay. Buds so. and Miller, Miller's or whatever. Yeah. Like MGDs.
1: To hand to people. so
0: Because he... if, if there was a few other guys with his buddy, he wasn't going to be like, oh, I'm sorry, this beer is just for him.
1: Yeah. Like he, he gave it to everybody.
0: So, yeah, he hands him a beer, uses his CIA effect to get a ride on another fly out of there and uh, to get on that 1300 mail run. And he's like,
1: bye, guys. Oh, my God. See ya.
0: Bye, Kevin. Kevin's <laughs> like, all right, bye, chick. Good luck. And... Yeah, I mean, even to the point where he goes into this tent to put his name down the list. He's like, uh, "Can I get on that mail run?" And he gets looked over, and they're like, "Yeah, sure. It's your name, sir." He's like, uh, "John Donahue." Put uh, civilian. Like he said it like a really pointed way, and the guy's like, "Yeah, right." It makes me think of like, uh,
1: "Oh my God, Cronk!"
0: Like Ra. Ry, Ra. The Poison for Cuzco. <laughs> that one. Yeah. Yes. That's what it is. Kind like, of wink.
1: So on this on this flight, she thought of Austin Powers and he goes, Right. <laughs> yeah. He has a moment like that too.
0: <laughs> Looks knowingly at the guy writing his name. Um the board the mail run here, it's those two benches facing each other. Yeah. And so he's facing two guys with the first cavalry who happen to be with Bravo Company. No fucking no way. No fucking way, right? That's why I was like. Calm down, Hollywood. You're getting out of hand with this. <laughs> but when you see this in the movie, or if it hopefully they play it out the same way, you'll know it's not. actually true. So he's seen it across from a couple of these guys, and he's like, oh, Bravo Company. All right. Hey, uh, fellas, do you know Ricky Dugan? And they're like, yeah, Sergeant Dugan. We're actually going to go up and meet up with him now.
1: Cool. How fortuitous. How fortuitous.
0: Yeah, you can follow us. Cool. Thanks, guys. So they land in Fubai, which is 10 miles south of the imperial city of Hue, which is what I showed you on the map there. This is pretty far north. So now we're getting much closer to to the the DMZ. We're at that line there. And the danger level has now increased significantly. The GIs that Chick was talking to when they land, they're like, this is landing zone tombstone. We're heading up one more to landing zone Jane. So we're going a little bit further north. See if you can get on our ride with us. Up to landing zone Jane. Yeah. So Chick goes into the tent. And it's like can I hop on board with these guys? And the guys. Like having that. Sort of struggle of. This is a much more dangerous area, and this guy looks like a civilian. I don't mm-hmm. want to ask too many questions. But I should probably just let him go, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> but also, I don't want to get this guy killed and just send like some dude up there. Um, he's like, "Yeah, but we really should tell the major about this, so he gets the major to come in." Oh boy. And the major, who I'm I'm thinking might be Bill Murray, he's apparently going to be a part of this at some point. So anyway, major comes over and is all. Conspiratorial, like right. Oh, <laughs> also, no. like wink. I got. I understand what you're doing. He's like, yeah, you can go. That's all right. He's allowed to go." Uh, Mr. Donahue, do you want to join me for dinner? <sighs> yeah, yeah, sure. We have steak, Mr. Major, sir. I would love to. And over dinner, the major's like, "All right, uh, What are you? What are you really up to? Can you kind of give me a little hint? Like, what? What are you guys doing up oh, there?" Oh boy,
1: wait till he finds out.
0: Chick actually tells him legitimately what he's doing. He's like, "I'm here on a beer run from." My neighborhood bar to find guys from the neighborhood and give uh-huh. them a beer. Straight up tells him, and because it's such a fucking bonkers thing to do, <laughs> the major's like, "All right, then keep your secrets." <laughs> oh my god! He thinks he's pulling his leg.
1: And uh, wait till he reads his book later and be yeah. like, "Chick,
0: <laughs> it's for real." Eighteen hundred hours. Get on the Huey, everybody! Everybody, load up. We're getting on the Huey, the helicopter. There, doors open. <laughs> I mentioned them to sound like a
1: minivan. <laughs> it's like probably a, <sighs> a lot more like, but like the hollow ones, where it's all metal. Turn on, fortunate son. Ba-
0: right, that's always. Yeah, no, get you're good here. Totally, um, keep going. <laughs> we are flying over the jungle to landing zone Jane. This is not friendly territory. Shit's real. It's about as unfriendly as it gets in yeah. Vietnam, to be honest with you. And when they land, the sergeant major at the base. At Jane is pissed to see some civilian with shorts on and t-shirt just hopping off the chopper like do, 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 do. yeah thank goodness the sergeant major has a sense of humor because he tells him sir this is what I'm doing up here and he's like all right well currently sergeant Dugan's out at the amb- ambush post right I know Is at the outer perimeter I'll call him back so he calls him back Meanwhile, Chick gets a poncho on, so at least he's not, like, standing out. Hides under a tarp and then pops out like, surprise, bitch, I've got beers. Like, <laughs> what Ricky's like, Chick, what are you doing here? <laughs> like, what are you—really, what the hell are you doing here? This is crazy. Yeah. But the sergeant major's like, all right, Dugan, he's your responsibility now. You can have him. <laughs>
1: Dugan. Just let, this him, is not let, my him, problem. let him go free. He's yours don't now. Don't let the civilian yeah. get in the way. If And don't get him from. shot. Yeah, gosh. <laughs>
0: So Ricky takes Chick back to the ambush post with him, and he sits there with the guys, and he's bringing them news of back home. Like, everyone's got questions. Like, you know, what's going on? When's this going to happen? Hey, did this yeah. win in the World Series? I don't know. Whatever kind of stuff. Whatever and just, happens you, to all be the going news on. Yeah. Back home, right? And so at the post, they keep... The, the guy, the soldiers are, Chick's not included in this, but the soldiers are keeping watch, so. Chick's not allowed to be responsible for anything. Well, no, no li- literally, he cannot be. I mean, he's, he, he doesn't have a weapon. He can't be. They're not going to be like, oh, here, t- you take a watch, because he's not a soldier, right? One of the guys actually gives him an air mattress, which is really thoughtful.
1: Did air mattresses back in the 60s? I, I
0: mean, I'm I'm assuming it's probably something very small, but yeah, was like a oh, little air mattress. Huh. Well, they we did. For him.
1: Somehow I figured that was an 80s invention.
0: It seems like it should be, but no, I'm assuming it's probably just a little hand pump one. Middle of the night, the lookout sees movement on the perimeter, and they wake Sergeant Dugan up. Dugan sounds like a hell of a guy, too, because he's like, yeah, okay, yes, it's the North Vietnamese Army. <laughs> the NVA, is as we're going to call them. Okay. It's all right, chick. We're going to handle this, buddy. Um, But would you just mind holding this for me just in case? And he's, like, real calm about the whole thing. Like, okay, yep. yep. Indeed, we are getting surrounded. There is movement. We see it. Okay.
1: Here, everybody. Just make sure you got your guns. <laughs> He has a fucking grenade,
0: doesn't he? He has him a grenade launcher.
1: So, same idea. <laughs> yeah. A firefight
0: breaks out and lasts for some time, but thankfully none of the Americans are injured and everyone is now awake. So, turns out the first you don't say yeah. <laughs> turns out the first air cavalry had already seen a lot of action, and Rick in total would have seen 153 combat assaults total. Holy, his shit. Time he's there. Mm-hmm. The month prior, they had a six-day firefight in which 25 of their men were killed. Including their platoon commander. Ugh. It was a rough go for the first air cav. Yeah. The next morning, they go back to camp for breakfast and then they prepare for the patrol. So Chick joins them <laughs> out on their patrol. Why is he allowed out? <laughs> and then later in the evening, he's got the beers with them. So they're right as they're about to fall asleep, he hands them each a beer. They kind of have a little drink. Not kind of, they do. They have a little drink and then they go night night. And then the morning, Bravo Company's moving out. So Chick and Ricky that the part ways. And Ricky gets Chick on a Chinook out southeast, sort of. Not aware. Yeah, away. (laughs) By now it's been four days. And when he gets to wherever this chopper's taken him, he gets dropped in like this open field. There's nothing around. And then the pilot's just like, here, just go down that road. This is as far as I can go. Bye. Like that and sails away. So four days. He's overdue to be at back at his ship. He's filthy. He hasn't showered. He's picked up by some more GIs in a jeep, and they take him to the airfield, where he then just kind of catches a series of rides until he finally makes it down to Queen Yan Harbor, where his ship is located. Or so he thinks. By now, it's about five days in his time of hopping his way down the coast. Yeah. And the ship, the Drake Victory, is no longer in the harbor. Yeah. Shit. You don't miss your ship. That's like a big no-no.
1: My belief in Chick's abilities to hitchhike <laughs> is very high yeah. right now.
0: I'll <laughs> find something. I'll figure it out. So he goes to the Coast Guard harbor master and says, "I had to pass to see my stepbrother, but now my ship's gone. What do I do?" The harbor master says that there's a threat on the ships in the harbor. So the Drake victory is like, right? We're loading, unloading quick. Let's get out of here. Unload Bye. out. Yep. And they filed a missing missing persons report for him oh. They're like so you're well, also he wasn't a missing back pers- yeah right and uh they're like so that's good that you know crumple that up you're not a missing persons anymore that's great but the drake victories in the philippines so all we can do is just call over there and see if they can hang out in the harbor for a little bit and you can catch up with them or, or what whatever we can do from there yeah. he says i'll call saigon to give you orders so you can fly down there get a visa and then book your flight to leave Okay. And Chick's like, well, that sounds complicated. That sounds like a lot of steps. Can I just go down there and just speed this process up? Like, I'll just go there in person right now and then we'll go. We can skip some steps here. And the Harbor Master's like, what don't you get? You cannot go anywhere in Vietnam without orders. Unless you're Chick. Unless you're this guy, in which case he's been doing that. And he's just like using his CIA effect for just uh-huh. doing what he wants. Um, and that's the thing. There'd be people all times time that'd be like, well, where are your orders? And he's like, well, I have a pass to, you know, or he would just be authoritative. You need orders to go anywhere in Vietnam. I have to get you orders first before you can go. Yeah. But Chick's like, I, I can't wait for that to happen. And so he starts walking around on the airstrip and asking people, hey, are you going to Saigon? Are you going to Saigon? An Air Force pilot who was a merchant mariner when he was younger takes pity on him and just says on the side, he's like, look, that's my plane over there. When I get on board and give you a signal to come out, don't talk to anybody. Don't look at anybody. Get on the plane. Sit down. And shut up. Yeah. So he does so. And he's like, oh, and uh, when you get to Saigon, do me a favor. And He's like, yes, sir, anything. Take a bath. <laughs> <laughs> so now we enter the section of the book called Bureaucratic Red Tape Nightmare, as I like to call it. At the embassy, his Z card, which for a few ne- years now has taken him all over the world multiple times over, is not accepted as a passport. <laughs> So they're like, you have to get a passport, and then you can apply for your visa to leave the country. He's like, I'm a merchant mariner, and I've been all over the world on this card. It's a passport. It's it's given to me by the U.S. Coast Guard. It's an official document. Mm-hmm. Let me out. Oh, and by the way, why do I have to get a visa to leave the country? I'm not like trying to escape or <laughs> anything like that. And they're like, this is just their country, and we're playing by the rules, Donahue. We need you to just play by them as well, too. Mm-hmm. So now he goes in this whole cycle of having to just kind of like sit around and wait in Saigon. Finally, after a little over a week, he gets the passport and then the passport gets the visa. <laughs> All these things are like slowly getting into place after a couple of weeks. He has a flight leaving the next morning, January 31st. But the embassy employee was like, Mr. Donahue, be sure to give yourself plenty of time to get here because he's getting a ride from the embassy to mm. the airfield, the army airfield. It's Tet tonight, and traffic's going to be terrible. Do not party too hard. It's New Year's. Yay. Aww. So Tet is New Year. It's okay. a huge deal. So people would say it's like Christmas, 4th of July, and um, you know, I don't know St. Patrick's Day all combined into one or whatever they called it. New Sweet. Year's. Sweet. It's like a huge holiday. And it lasts for a few nights as well, oh, too, typically, yeah. if, if not more so.
1: A great party is such as this cannot be contained into twenty four mere hours, Laurel. <laughs> That's right.
0: Now, for the holiday, Vietnamese people will track back to their ancestral homes and their villages to Sweet. be back with family. It's yeah. a huge travel time. And for the first time in a few years, South Vietnam's leader lifted the ban on fireworks for Tet. So for years, there weren't fireworks for Tet, but it was a very big part of the holiday. Mm-hmm. And this was the year he was like, you know what? We'll lift the ban on them. Have some fun.
1: Yeah, way to suck the joy out of everything, man. <laughs> Even
0: uh, North Vietnam and the Viet Cong yeah. talked to the U.S. and South Vietnam and was like, hey, can we have a truce during Tet so we can all enjoy the holiday? Yeah. And actually, the United States agreed to it. So everyone's looking forward to a like nice... kind of putting the guns down for yeah. a bit. Yeah.
1: Right? Who wouldn't?
0: Chick is like, I'm going to have a drink before I go and just chill for the evening. And he actually finds another Merchant Mariner friend in there named Johnny Jackson, which is a pseudonym. And Johnny was working on the SS Limon, which which was a food transport ship that had a huge frozen foods delivery for the military. And it had everything. I mean, we're talking like lobsters and beer and ice cream and steaks and hamburgers and just all the food. And because the guys on board are the nicest – They're like, hey, why don't you just come back with us? Well, we're going to make a dinner out of the stuff on the ship. So just come back and, you know, have a tete dinner with us. It'd be great. We're going to feast. And then they give him fresh new clothes and $100 that they all pooled together for his little mission, his trip being stranded there. He celebrates all night with Johnny. And by the time they're getting back to Chick's Hotel, it's 3 a.m., And he has to leave for his flight in two hours. Yep, I knew that. (laughs) The night manager, or I should say the hotel manager, was going to give him a ride to the embassy so he could catch his his flight. He's like, all right, just get my head down, see if I can get a little bit of sleep. But these damn fireworks just keep going off. And he realizes these fireworks are just really, really loud. And he's like, man, they've got some big boomers that they're setting off. They must be putting them in like pots to make them louder. They're having a party. Yeah. And then the window breaks. And then something comes flying in the window. Oh. And he hears yelling outside. And he's thinking, if this is what it's like in the middle of the night, tomorrow is going to be insanity. I've got to get out of here now. I cannot miss this flight. hmm So he's running to the front desk. He just grabs his bag. And he's like, hey, can we go now? Can we go now? I will pay you double. The manager is screaming at him in Korean because he's actually – he's Korean. Sorry. That oh. was uh, – <laughs> Well, that's not gonna help chick
1: much. And they would speak
0: in Japanese here and there with like some Korean because he knew some Japanese.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, that was a little side note. No, it's okay. It kind of really <laughs> added to the chaos of the moment. He's Korean and he's by the way. Korean, he's Korean <laughs> at him and I'm like, what?
0: He's Korean, and
1: he's like, is he telling me to
0: be quiet? That doesn't make any sense considering it's loud as fuck outside. Yeah. And then he's going, he switches to French and says, Buku VC." Buku VC, so Buku is uh, like mercy. Buku is thank you very much. It's very much for like a lot, and he's like a lot of VC Viet Cong.
1: Oh shit! Oh shit!
0: We gotta get out of here. So he he gets in the the car, and bless this man, he is flying down the road like turning corners. All of a sudden, they they hit a part where there's like a wire across the road. Yeah, and he slams on the brakes. South Vietnamese police jump out, and they're like
1: hands over. Like,
0: We're not. Like, ah, like, <laughs> and there's just chaos and the screaming. Ah, and then this guy's screaming Chick, in Korean. So <laughs> yeah, chick's got 50 bucks in his pocket. He goes 48 of it to the manager. Like, thank you so much for everything mm-hmm. you've done. He gets out of the car. and He's like, hey, it's cool. I'm an American. I'm just trying to get to the embassy. Yeah. And for whatever reason, just, this is such a weird thing. They just all, they went from screaming and guns in their faces to being like, not even caring oh all right whatever well
1: he's an american
0: well i know but they didn't even considering what's happening right now which you don't know yet <laughs> okay but there's shit going down that they're not like trying to check his id or get him off the road or anything like that there's nobody around oh and you then mean they
1: just kind of leave in there yeah oh and that not, is surprising and they're just
0: like oh whatever go you know go to the embassy whatever you want to do
1: that so he's is like, a little right. bit odd okay
0: He's just wandering down the road towards the
1: embassy. Why is this always Chick's story? <laughs> he's like the naked guy in a knight's tale. And he's just wandering down the road like that's Chick. Except he has clothes and beer and like $2.
0: And $2. And he's sees a bunch of Americans standing outside, well, like him, mm-hmm. not in uniform, but armed, standing outside a hotel talking. And he's like, what's going on? What's going on? And they're like... Viet Cong has attacked Saigon along with all the towns and cities all in the south. Mm. So those weren't fireworks that he was hearing. There's fighting all over the city and the compound where the embassy is has been overrun and yeah. there's currently a firefight between oh
1: my god marines
0: and MPs against Viet Cong inside the compound which is exactly where he's like was wandering off to. Mm-hmm. He also finds out that of the many neighborhoods in Saigon uh, Sholan, which was the one that he was just in, that he was staying in, had been completely taken now. Oh. Yeah. So, if. So he was lucky he got out when he did.
1: Basically. So, if the Viet Cong had found him, would they kill him immediately for being an American? Uh, probably
0: prisoner of war. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Or he could have right. been killed. I mean, it, it, it could have gone either way, but, yeah. you know, maybe prisoner of war. It just depends on what they felt like. I doing.
1: didn't know how. It kind of sounded like they were in a quick get in, get out mission. So I figure everyone who's not an ally is dead. That'd i would be about assume. right. Yeah. Yeah. Now Chick
0: has got to be in some sort of state of shock and disbelief with all of this going on because he's hearing this news and he's decided he's still going to go to the embassy. What? Yeah, I know. So he's doop, 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 walking down the street. Does he have a false sense of invincibility? <laughs> I don't know. But by the time he gets to. The next hotel on this path there it's like a garrison there's like personnel carriers out there sandbags are built up like mps are everywhere and he's like what's going on here and the mp outside is like the embassy's getting overrun the airfield's been taken they're currently trying to take the presidential palace as well too yeah all the command posts and you can't come in here he's like but i'm an american can does that change anything and they're like nope <laughs> mm, no <laughs> he's like so where do i go and they're like not here but you know i've got my orders so keeps on walking Jeez. i know
1: i'm impressed i mean maybe i'm not giving the Viet Cong enough credit well
0: i'm gonna tell you what's happening here and see what you think if it okay. kinda changes how you think about it because there was some intelligence that the americans were getting that something big was going to happen mm. but they didn't realize how big okay the North Vietnamese Army and the Viet Cong, so the NVA and the VC, as we're going to abbreviate that too,
1: Okay.
0: they were able to pull this off with the opportunity of the Tet Truce, but also using their geography and the geography of their neighbors, Laos and Cambodia, Cambodia yep. mm-hmm, which have a very similar shape. So from the north, they would start hiking down the Ho Chi Minh Trail, mm-hmm. and they would then go into Laos and then Cambodia, and then they would just kind of pop into South Vietnam from the west. They could just kind of walk on through and yep. go on go on in there. For two months, there was fighting during this Tet Offensive, as it became known. Uh, if you know, yeah, it, if you know your – even if you really don't know Vietnam War history, that was like the thing that they always taught in that's what I remember, at least. I don't remember much of learning in the about the Vietnam War in high school and stuff. Well, like I told you, but the Tet Offensive was the thing. That they're like, let's tell you about this.
1: <laughs> uh, they didn't tell me about that. My, oh. I again. By the time I was learning about it, it was televised. Um, they talked a lot about the protesting going on and that it was a conflict. Oh right, conflict, <laughs> kind of conflict, which is stupid to me. Uh, in that, and this is just my opinion, it's a war because regardless, life was lost whether yeah. your governmental goals were made or not. Right. Does that make yes. sense? Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Carry on.
0: Yep. Mm-hmm. I think it's funny that we would rename how we view our wars based on that criteria when you wouldn't do well, that, that, that for any other country Well, that might not necessarily be as true as I
1: thought it was. That's oh, okay. what I was told, but I'll have to go back and verify that statement. The U.S. and the Allies were just basically trying to keep their
0: hold in the South during this time. And during that period, from January 29th through March 31st, 1968, the death toll included 3,895 American servicemen, 14,300 civilians, 4,954 South Vietnamese soldiers, 214 Allies, and 58,373 North Vietnamese and Viet Cong forces, for a total of 81,000. Seven hundred and thirty-six people killed in only two months. Wow, that's just death toll. That's not just that's not casualties. On yeah, yeah. I shouldn't say just death toll. I mean, that's the number of deaths. I, I yeah. mean, casualties and injuries are going to be so much higher. So yes, number wise, there was a higher amount of deaths for the North forces. And even though they're taking of a lot of key places in the South, didn't bring the people over the, to their side as they were hoping. They were hoping they were going to pop up in Saigon. Surprise everybody. And then the South Vietnamese people would go, you know what? Yeah. Fuck this. Oh, that let's, didn't happen. Let's, upri- let's have an uprising and turn against this. And that didn't really happen. Yeah. But it was still really embarrassing for the United States. hmm At that point in time, the U.S. government was telling the public that we were winning against the North. There was always these publishings of the numbers of injuries and deaths and whatever. And it would always be like, you know, Viet Cong and North Vietnam you know, X number, and then USA, only 25. And they're like, only 25? The fact that only 25 lives were lost. Mm-hmm. 25 lives were lost. You know, so there, there, a lot of people were starting to see this and be like, this is really bullshit. Now the Tet Offensive happens, and they're like, what else have not you been telling us? I thought we were winning this war. Mm-hmm. So a lot of people really started to go even deeper into that mistrust of the government as well as anger against the war. Yeah. It doesn't look
1: good. So Chuck,
0: nope, Chuck, nope, Chick. Chick thinks he's going to the embassy. So here we go. Let's go check no, in with our boy. guy. Not a great situation. He's outside the embassy compound.
1: That's understating it greatly. There's
0: <laughs> a firefight going on. There's helicopters from the 101st Airborne Probably grenades
1: flying through the yep. air.
0: Bullets, everything. And he's getting like hand signals from two other plain clothes guys armed, hiding behind a tree and like stay back and stay out of the way kind of thing. Right?
1: Well, they're CIA people. <laughs> they're CIA,
0: right? In this section of the book, I'm not going to go into it, but he details the firefight and what's going on from the perspective of other people that were on the compound and trying to hold it. And Chick is basically watching us from the outside and hopping around behind the trees. Finally, some of the choppers with the 101st Airborne, as well as some tanks, break through. They get control over the The compound and, thankfully, the embassy itself was never taken. So the compound was overrun, but the people inside the embassy portion were safe, which is good, unlike what happened in the Argo Argo. story. Only 19 Viet Cong were the ones who attacked the embassy, 19. And they actually managed to fight for six hours from 3 a.m. to 9 a.m. until it was retaken again by the U.S., which... I was kind of like, damn, okay, they've got helicopters and tanks and stuff. Like they the as Viet
1: Cong do? No, they as in the United States. Oh, okay. I was like, and then the what? And the Viet Cong
0: are like, there's 19 of us, and we're gonna hold this shit down. Wow. Oh. Yeah, I was like,
1: that's Whoa. home field advantage, baby.
0: Sun's up, dust is sort of settling, and everyone's just trying to figure shit out. And during the chaos, Chick, who had been seeing all these other plain clothes armed Americans. It's like, oh, those guys are most certainly CIA, and they're all around the embassy now. So now he kind of, like, fits in a yeah. little more, I guess. But he goes in, and he actually sees the guy he's been working with for his visa and the passport. Of course he does. And he's like, um, so about that flight to get to my ship in Manila. Yeah. And he's like, Donahue, are you fucking kidding me? Right. <laughs> are you Are you okay? Like, obviously, he must be in some sort of shock because the fact that he thinks he's still just going to get out. After yeah, all this has happened. So he's like, look, you need to just lay low, chill. Here's a voucher. Take it to one of the big hotels. It was basically a voucher that just said, like, charge the embassy yeah. for this man's stay. Take it and just get the hell out of here. I don't want to deal with you right now.
1: Yeah. So you would think
0: that this story is about to get a little bit easier for Chick. He's got a voucher for a free plush hotel stay. <laughs> just lay low. But he doesn't. So he's like... You know what? I'll go over to the Continental Palace because that hotel's where all the journalists stay. There's a lot of Americans there. This'll be great. I'll go I'll go up that way. He's leaving. Some other plainclothes guys are leaving. And he's like, God, oh, do you guys happen to have some wheels? Well, are like, Yeah, you need a need a ride? Well, if you happen to be going up to the palace, that would be that'd be great. Yeah, actually that's where we're going right now. Hands him a gun. Get in the back of the Jeep. Oh my God. And soon they're just whizzing down the road. They're following another Jeep. And then they go past the Continental Palace Hotel. He's like, "Um, guys, I thought we were going to go to the pal-. They're like, yeah, we are. We're going to the palace. The palace. The presidential palace. Like yep. the White House <laughs> for South Vietnam, basically. Yeah.
1: More like Buckingham Palace for South Vietnam, but yeah. Yeah, right. For, well, for their president. Um, okay, fine. Yeah, he can have a White House then. But boom, the jeep they're following gets hit with a rocket.
0: The three guys, so the two guys he's with plus Chick, they all jump out of their jeep. They tuck and roll get together so they're not hit next. The firefight at the palace ended up lasting for 15 hours. Meanwhile, sun's already starting to set again. And he's just like, I just got to get the heck out of here. So he's got a gun, but it's got like seven bullets. <laughs> so I got that if I really need it. But then he just holds up a little hallway. He just sits there all night and just waits until the sun comes up again while everything's going on around him. Being that he's not a soldier or have any weaponry and a platoon of guys that are all looking out for each other, he's in this really unique position of being alone. He doesn't have a group of people that he can really turn to. There's not other merchant mariners there from his ship. Mm-mm. He's not CIA either, so he can't continue to pretend to be CIA with these guys. But he was also in a unique position to get food into the city. Because at that point, with nothing coming in and out of the city, food's starting to run out. But... Guess who was still in the city and docked in the harbor? It's the S.S. Limone, the food ship. Oh, that's right. And being a merchant mariner, he goes out to the dock and he can flash his Z card and be like, oh, I can get on this ship. And Johnny and the boys on the ship are like, what's going on out there? Because they're not letting us leave. We just have to sit in the dock. So he gives them the outside news of the city. They give him food. He takes it back to the hotel so the hotels can feed the people. And so he keeps doing these food runs, and that's what he spends most of his time doing while there aren't supplies coming into the city. But there's a huge ship out there that has plenty of food. So he starts making these food runs, and during this time, he's wondering how all of his buddies are doing with all the new developments with this Tet Offensive that's going on. One of the guys on his list, his name is Bobby Pappas, and he was the friend Or he was one of the friends who wasn't originally drafted, but then when the draft began to include fathers, he was drafted. So he's got a a wife and a little girl at home, like a little baby. His base is only like an hour north of here. I'm going to go see Bobby Pappas and give him a beer. So he goes up there. The place is armed to the teeth. It's the Longbin Army Base, which is like one of those huge bases that has everything. The base was a huge target for the NVA and the VC because of the amount of equipment and personnel that they had there. Mm. But it was also home to a 2200 acre ammo dump surrounded by jungle on three sides. So it's like a (laughs) tinderbox. Not scary at all. And in fact, the two years prior it had been hit by Viet Cong and everything exploded. And so here it is, the ammo dump. It's all right there. So he goes up to the base, and he's there to see his stepbrother, air quotes, Bobby Pappas. He ends up spending a couple days on the base and talking with Bobby. But then he's like, oh, trying to go back to Saigon. I'm needed, but good to see you. You take care of yourself. <laughs> <laughs> so that's good. Another, na- another name checked off the list. But then when he's back at the hotel that night, so he gets back to Saigon. He's sitting there listening to all the journalists sharing their stories and kind of twittering about the news. All of a sudden there's a huge explosion such that they know it's far away, but the ground, the city shakes, the ground shakes. And they look out the window and they can see this huge orange cloud and even a little mushroom cloud as well. A series and cascade of explosions start going off. And he knows that it's the long bin army base. Chick spends the rest of the night sure that Bobby was killed. He's like, there's no way anyone can survive that. Here he is thinking he's going to be accompanying his friend's body back to New York. He's going to have to tell his wife. And he's like, what am I going to do? So he's panicked the entire night. The moment he can join a convoy to, like, go up there and help the next morning, he's up there, runs on the base. He's thankfully seen some familiar faces from when he was there. He's like, okay, good. That person's fine. That person's fine. And then he finds Bobby. Mm
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And he's alive. He's pissed, <laughs> but he's alive. And the only reason why he's alive is because he just happened to be down in the command post, which is underground.
1: Aww. So it's like sheltered.
0: So he's like, oh my God, I can't believe you're all right. So they're like, we're going to go out for another beer. <laughs> so, they, <laughs> so they go to the bar on base and they have another drink together just because they're glad to be alive. With fighting still happening at major sites in the South and Chick not having a way out of the country, he's just sitting tight and doing what he can. He calls his parents. Hey, I'm in Saigon, <laughs> but don't worry. I'll get out of here soon. And So his parents are panicked about it. But uh, things are looking really bleak. The violence is getting worse. Chick himself was injured while trying to make a food delivery. Mm-hmm. And the driver of the motorbike that he was on was shot. And it dumped the bike. And so he was actually pretty beat up with it. The media is reporting all these stories that was giving this end-of-the-road situation for the war. Even news legend Walter Cronkite famously said on air after seeing things for himself in Saigon, quote, is increasingly clear to this reporter that the only rational way out will be to negotiate, not as victors, but as honorable people who lived up to their pledge to defend democracy, and they did the best they could. The deadliest week in the entire war happened mid-February. Five days later, another draft of 48,000 soldiers was announced, just a bad thing to do at the end of the month uh secretary of defense robert mcnamara walked away from the war that he accelerated basically (laughs) or escalated i should say uh and a month later lyndon b johnson's like i'm not seeking re-election we're out bad situation it's dire with the increased violence the ships in the harbor including the Lamone, were getting shot at and the captain of the ship was like no that's it fuck this we're out of here Unload this. Find whoever you need to find to unload this because at the time there were strikes going on with the labor workers, which the reason for those strikes was believed that they were sympathizers to the communist cause. So if they could have a hand in slowing things down for the Americans, they're like, oh, well, we won't unload your ships. You have to sit there. So, yeah. so the captain of the Moan was like, "I don't care who you have to scrounge together. This is getting unloaded, or we're taking this food back to Manila with us. Yeah. And if you need food, get it going now. We're done. We're out of here." And Chick's like, "Hey, you wouldn't happen to need an extra pair of hands of help on that ship, would you?" Mm-hmm. And the captain's like, "I don't, I don't care anymore. <laughs> get on there. Fine. Oh, wait, hundred tomorrow. You know." And uh, so he does. Three weeks later, he is in Seattle. He steps off the gangplank. And literally kisses the ground. With his pay he earned working on the ship, he gets a completely new outfit and then goes straight to the airport to get a flight to New York City. He goes straight to Doc Fiddler's where everyone loses their freaking minds when they see him. (laughs) They came back alive. And he relays his stories of who he got to see. And then he goes to his mom and dad's house and promises his mom he's never going back to Vietnam again. (laughs)
1: So he didn't make
0: it through the entire list. He did get through the whole list, but I'm going to tell you where everybody is. Ended up. And then, yeah, and then we're done. So Chick continued on as a merchant mariner, but he never went back to Vietnam. Gee, I wonder why. (laughs) There was a lot to sort through with the beer run, you know, and with the experience that he had and seeing for himself what was really going on. As much as he loved his country and obviously all the soldiers that were doing their job over there. He started to understand the frustration, the anger that the protesters had at the war, whereas before he saw it as the protesters being anti-American and stabbing the soldiers in the back. And granted, they didn't go about it the right way. He's like, they're they're not going about their protests the right way. They're mad at the wrong people. But he realized that they loved the, their country, too, but they just didn't like the leadership. You know, they care about the boys as well, but they just didn't like seeing them sent off to war. You know, that they were fighting for friends and brothers and partners, sons, themselves. And so he's like, I, I respect that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I respect what you're doing. Jake actually use, uses the rest of his life helping to um, further union causes and like representing union cases and trying to get more care of the people and campaigning for leaders who don't have their interests first. So, or their own interests first. So that's kind of what Chick ended up doing with the rest of his days. Second Lieutenant Richard Reynolds, who was on the list, but Chickie was never able to get to, wouldn't have been able to have the beer anyway, as he was killed leading his platoon to rescue a shoot, scouting party. The rescue group was ambushed and 12 men were killed, including Reynolds. This was the day after the Drake victory anchored in Queen Yon. Oh, Joey McFadden, another name on the list that was never found, was actually sent home after contracting malaria for the second time. Oh, His brother Steve said that Joey returned home in the middle of the night, and the two stayed up as Steve listened to Joey's stories of the war. After that, he never spoke about it again. The two brothers opened up a pub together called McFadden's Saloon. Kevin McLoon, who was working as a private contractor with the radio frequency scramblers for the helicopters, had... A hell of a time once the tet started because he was just trying to then just get his job done as quickly as he could because the helicopters really needed to be sent out so right um he got him all fitted and after two years of being there he left vietnam job done he sought out chick when he got back home and the two attended every new york giants football game together either home or away wow and today he lives between new york and florida with his wife Tommy Collins, the MP who was the first to be found in Queen Yan, suffered severe exposure to Agent Orange, but he came home. He didn't realize how bad it was going to be, either. No one told him that everyone hated—I shouldn't say everyone, but there was a lot of anger towards GIs. He says that he lands at the airport, he's walking through the terminal, and then this person starts screaming baby killer at him, and he's very yeah. uncomfortable, right? so it's like really shocking to him to experience that but then on top of it you're he's also suffering from ptsd so any like loud noises there's like a car that backfires and he gets down so he's having the stress response back home as well but he worked through it he joined the nypd and in three years he was promoted to detective he was in charge of training new recruits where he met his wife suzanne and they are married to this day Sergeant Rick Dugan, with the 1st Air Cavalry, was wounded in a six-day battle and was awarded the Purple Heart. Shortly after seeing Chick, Tet began. Not too long into Tet, Rick received word that his father was dying, and so he was sent back home. So at least he was out for a little while. Yeah. His father did actually end up surviving, but before he was sent back to Vietnam, Rick stopped into Doc Fiddler's to tell the colonel that Chick had found him, Tommy and Kevin, so far. So they got this... Mid
1: yeah. <laughs> mid Trek
0: update. He said, Chick's found me. He's found Tom. He's found Kevin. They're alive. They're doing but, okay. Where's like, Chick?
1: Oh, he's not here. He's, he's not still here. Vietnam. He's still
0: over there. What? Yeah. So Chick was stuck, but he got to go back and say, I've seen him. He mm-hmm. found me. Bobby Pappas, who was at the Long Bin base, went home to a wife and daughter he initially felt distanced and like a stranger to. He was struggling with PTSD and he began drinking really heavily. But in 1979, he changed his life around, got sober, began therapy for his PTSD, which he still attends. And he and his wife, Eileen, are grandparents living in Myrtle Beach. Good. Oh, they all moved to Florida. Yeah, they got, got Snow warm birds. Yeah, they're either snowbirds or and like dividing their time between two places or they live in warmer climates. In fact, actually, Chick divides his time between uh, New York, Florida, and West Cork, where he has family in Ireland. Still. Oh, Okay. Yeah. And that is the story of the greatest beer run Is Chick
1: run still ever. batshit bonkers? Because <laughs> holy crap. Yeah, there's actually
0: in the epilogue, sorry, in the prologue to this, there's stories that they say, like, this is his greatest story of the crazy shit he's done, but that he's done other things where he was standing up to, well, with his union work, you know? Yeah. Like, he was standing mm-hmm. up to, like, mafia bosses or something like that. Like, he went and was like, involved so or just, something. I don't he's know. He's just but bonkers he basically in just, general. Yeah, he just moxie the kid's got moxie and there,
1: yeah that's the street straight- there's so a lack of little- brain or an overdose of balls i can't decide <laughs> which it is it's something
0: sorry that was a long story but i just wanted you guys to get the full experience of it because there were so many times where i put the book down when something bonkers would happen and i would just put the book down i look straight ahead across the room and just go oh what the fuck's even happening right now <laughs> what's going on how is he doing this this is crazy but there he is doing it he's nuts he's nuts god bless him for it
1: chick john chick donahue drink my warm beard probably so mine is kind of untraditional in that i did i called it i named it because i name all of these togo is the serum run Mm -hmm. obviously this one is called scattered fun facts (laughs)
0: just like you're feeding the pigeons some fun facts of history that's kind
1: of what this is like but i'm gonna be honest i wrote these down like ever since we started the podcast and questions that i had and i was gonna answer and i'm hitting some of them today so it's not (laughs) as random as it sounds
0: i love this okay so So hopefully everyone else does if
1: not i'll be returning to a normal story format (laughs) next week so if you hate it i'm sorry you can just skip the rest of this i like the creativity first on the list are the pom-poms on hats Like this one, okay? That fluffy little ball at the little top of your hat. The pom-pom can be traced back to ancient Scandinavia, where it's thought to have been used like a tab to bring all the seams at the top of a hat together because this is predating knitting. Knitting did not exist yet because I'm talking like Ragnar Scandinavia. Okay. Like it's old as shit.
0: (laughs) makes sense though i just like gather all the i know
1: yeah it does but like i know it sounds silly and i said it during the ragnar lothbrook episode but i did not realize how far back in history he actually happened yeah you know like it was a long time ago i was like oh my god england wasn't a country i was like wait what (laughs) (laughs) yeah they were just saxons Mm -hmm. you know and yeah so long time ago so, pom-pom can be traced back to ancient Scandinavia. So, like I said, a little tab to bring them together. Uh, it doesn't say, I would assume they just kind of tied shit together or sewed it together or however they did that. That's
0: what I'm visualizing. Uh, kind of yeah. what I okay. thought
1: as well. Uh, the goddess Freya is depicted oh. wearing one such hat. Oh, With a pom-pom <laughs> on it. When? Now, keep in mind, though, this is more of like a, like I said, like a tab is specifically kind of how to think of it. Yep. So, it's more of like a flat fold. Yeah?
0: Oh, yeah. No, I'm picturing this in my mind now. Yeah. Right.
1: Mm -hmm. Around the same time in England, you know, Anglo-Saxon territory, and surrounding countries, uh, the same tab-like feature was also being used on hats. And in Scotland, they have all kinds of different ones. Have you seen them? Almost beret-like? Yep. Okay. Also similar. So there's a lot of this whole, that quote-unquote technology was kind of passed around a lot. As you can see, it was used a lot during that time. Okay. The word pom-pom derives from the French word pom and i didn't write down what it means so who cares <laughs> and <laughs> who cares but whatever it came around in the late 19th century the french are important here oh. uh they're the ones who made it like the puff of fabric or feathers oh. so you're saying it wasn't a french tab anymore it fabulous pretty much they're like yeah a fab, well but for a reason make it bougie <laughs> yes but also for a reason okay. as well um so it's more like the puff that we know today on top specifically seamen I paused for dramatic effect for no reason at all okay. so specifically for sailors or seamen becoming popular with them to avoid smacking one's head when you're on in the bunk on a ship Oh okay. yeah that's so functional. that's how I first heard about it because people always like to play with the the little and I'm like, stop mm-hmm. it! And they're like, do you know how this? You know these these were invented. I'm like, no, but I'd really like you to stop touching it. <laughs> so, pompons, named by the French, old technology, but Poof. yes, as you say, they made it bougie. So, yeah. And when I thought about it, like Mr. Smee, yeah, wears one and stuff like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh my god, I never even thought wow. about it. He sure does, mm-hmm. Mr. Smee, Mister Smee. All right, our next fun fact of the evening. Why is it called an upset when a favorite loses at a sporting event or competition? Do you know this?
0: Uh, you've told me this before, but I can't remember.
1: Interesting. So I came to find out a little bit more about it. Okay. But like, I know what you're talking about. Though the term existed long before, the famous race between, <clears throat> and this is my own opinion put in here, the greatest racehorse in history, Man of War, okay. and Upset made popular the term upset. It ah. was not derived from, but it made it popular. Okay. It did exist before, but nobody used it like they did after that. So I'm going to say it popularized the yeah. term because nobody really used it before that, Mr. Reporter, back in the 30s. I'm looking at you. When Man O' War, a horse who never lost a race, with the exception of one, lost his race against upset a horse who never won a race before or after that day. It was referred to as an upset because the favorite was they To this day... If you ask Man of War fans, they'll tell you it was rigged or fixed. Uh, fixed. Uh-huh. That's what we'll say. For those who don't know, Man O War is the father to the Triple Crown Winner War Admiral and the grandfather to the famous sea biscuit. So that's how a lot of people would know him. Yeah, he's a big old deal. Man o war is like the modern racehorse of our age. And I say modern because no horses were bred like today's modern thoroughbred until he came to be. Mm-hmm. So, like every thoroughbred that dates back, so like before Secretariat, there was Man O' War and all these great racehorses. Most of them were from Man O' War. Mm-hmm. So like, I would be shocked if you found one without his lineage in it. You probably can't do it because it was so long ago as well. And he lived to like 30 or 40, he lived a long ass time. Our next fun fact of the evening When were aglets invented? Do you know what an aglet is?
0: Are they like the little eyes on your shoelaces? Yes, the
1: aglet protects the shoelace from fraying and makes tying easier.
0: Or is that the thing on the end of the shoelace? It's on the end of the okay. shoelace, yeah.
1: yeah. I was
0: thinking the eyelets.
1: Oh, close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, but aglets, actual, but aglets assist you with your yeah. eyelets. So there you go. The earliest dated aglet comes from the Roman era. Uh, they were made out of the more luxurious aglets. Ooh, were made of the nice a, ones. They were made of metal and precious metal. Oh, well, Ooh. Close. Nice. Shakespeare even makes mention of the aglets in his play Taming of the Shrew. He calls them, what do you call them, baby aglet figures? They're (laughs) talking about, so you remember how they would use the loop and tab to put shirts together before buttons existed? Those were also considered an aglet. Oh, okay. The tab that went in the loop, that's where the term, I guess, comes from. Okay. It was I'm also sure. French by the way But I didn't even put that term in here Because I was not going to butcher the French language again Because I just didn't feel like doing that to France today <laughs> <laughs> They've suffered enough at my hands <laughs> However They were made popular by Harvey Kennedy Who's often credited with inventing him He didn't He's a lying mcleigh pants <laughs> And I'll go say it to his grave Did
0: you hear that? Mc- What's his name?
1: Harvey Kennedy, Mick
0: Harvey Kennedy,
1: I like, why I lying micklay the... <laughs> pants is what you're <laughs> going to call him. Like, where did the Mick come from? Uh, he made almost two point five million dollars off of the modern shoelace in the 1790s.
0: Oh, hey, you know what? That's capitalism, baby. <laughs> Listen, I
1: understand he did great for himself. However, I'm not going to let him go down as the inventor of it. It's a lie.
0: Okay, that's fair.
1: On to one of my personal favorites, Laurel. Did Hitler really have one ball?
0: Oh, my gosh, yes.
1: Okay. I remember you talking about this. Oh, I, like, delved into this here. There's not much to know, but I delved in. (laughs) A German historian, finally, very recently as well, finally unearthed the Nazi leader's long-lost medical records. Are you ready? Which seemed to confirm the urban legend. Oh. Oh, yeah. You weren't expecting that, were you? Snapple doesn't lie, Laurel.
0: That's right. That's what I. I was like, "Where did that come from?" That you were yelling at me before. Snapple can.
1: It's a snapple. The records were taken during a medical exam following Hitler's arrest over an attempted lobbying at a rival party's rally in 1923. These records show that he suffered from right side cryptorchidism. Cryptorchid means you have an undescended testicle. Uh, You see it a lot if you watch vet shows when they're castrating horses and stuff. You always want to castrate because, um, with animals, not necessarily with people, but with animals because it's a hereditary thing. So if you breed one cryptorchid, you'll breed another. So that being said, despite his right side cryptorchidism, and I told you it was his left nut too, so I got this 100% correctly. Oh, yeah. He was otherwise ruled healthy and strong, and I followed it up with Snapple was right. Right there in the middle of the page, you can see it. He had (laughs) one left nut. And now, to round it all off, where does the saying, yanking my chain, come from? I don't know. You don't? Have any idea? uh uh-uh, That one I don't know. Oh, it's glorious. Okay. So the history behind the saying started in America, when miners had a bathroom car, which rolled like any other train car, obviously. Of course it rolls. Duh. It's a train car. <laughs> miners carried a length of chain or rope with them to put on either side of the car's wheels so it wouldn't roll when they were using the toilet. So if someone were to pull or yank on the chain, it would cause the car to roll while one was perhaps taking a deuce. That's what I wrote here. Being being seen as a joke, although the miner probably didn't find it that funny <laughs>
0: That's like when you see those guys especially at construction sites where someone goes in the porta potty and, and like, they like start rock I've had this that happen not it's funny. not funny It's not funny it's awful What and... if you
1: got someone else's poopy on you <laughs> oh,
0: No It's not funny Like porta potties are already the worst thing
1: <laughs> To be fair I think they would just catch you with your pants down I don't think like let them do some peace. <laughs> oh, Katie, I loved your scattered fun facts. That was really fun. <laughs> hopefully, we didn't lose any listeners over that. <laughs> no,
0: that's fine. With as much as I just spouted off, I think they probably appreciated.
1: Yours was extremely quick interesting. Movement.
0: There's a lot going on. Yeah, sorry. I it was one of those ones where I just kept writing with it, and I should have probably capped off a little bit
1: better. Either way, hopefully, you enjoyed the fun facts. I, I won't do that all the time, but I do. When I like hear things, I'm like, ah, oh, I wonder how that happened. I'm gonna write that down. Mm-hmm. So throughout the the time that we have together, this will happen again. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> Snapple was right. Oh, um, you don't know how much victory I felt when I found that. I when bet you felt all the, the German victory. historian like came out and he was like, no, it's real. I <laughs> found his medical records. I was like, praise the Lord, it's true.
0: That seems like okay. So the medical records were taken after he got arrested. So they like at the police station they stripped him naked and was like,
1: "Oh, it didn't go that into detail." It well, just said after I'll, he was I'll arrested, else they find out. I guess I don't know. Okay. Kind of interesting. That's what isn't
0: I was like. Fixated on. When you said that, I was like,
1: maybe so. we need someone from Hesse or Berlin to answer that question for us.
0: There we go. There we go. You heard it. <laughs> <laughs>
1: the horn the horn the of gondor horn. <laughs> that's
0: my conch call to everybody who might know that
1: i'm gonna get you a horn of gondor like, yeah please. the one that Boromir me your head but okay. don't die tragically yeah <laughs> don't
0: don't want his ending but i'll uh take the horn
1: nobody wants uh what's that actor's name sean sean bean Sean Bean. Nobody wants Sean Bean's roles. He dies and everything. Have you never seen that, like, oh, hilariousness? Yeah. How he's, like, killed and everything? No offense to Sean Bean. I love him. He played a great Boromir, did a great King of the North.
0: Yeah, it's true. I've he just seems he gets, to always yeah. end in
1: tragedy. <laughs>
0: <laughs> start. He's a very,
1: put it, he's a very Shakespearean actor. Okay. It yeah. always the ends strategy. in tragedy. Yeah. <laughs> oh. That's the nicest way oh, I could God. put it.
0: And we're going to do this all again in two more weeks.
1: I know. I'm excited. Do you think you can contain yourself until then
0: <laughs> no is the answer no because i'm gonna just find another story that captures my attention such as the oh year run did Maybe. and
1: it'll be february next time we meet mm-hmm.
0: and we'll have a guest coming up here soon within the next couple months I'll tell you more Ooh. about that i know i'm getting excited our first legitimate guest aside from having my husband in here with the Oh, that after counts. After a few whiskeys. Yeah. Does that count? I was like, here, listen to the story and just drink.
1: And react. <laughs> was he just sitting we right so here where I was and just chillaxing? Uh, yeah, I think he was sitting more on the, the edge there. Yeah. Oh, man. I'm, for those of you who obviously can't see me because it's a auditory medium, I'm like full on just relaxed against pillows. Mm-hmm. And well, you know what? You get to lounge in comfort
0: again in two weeks. I we do we hang out in the smoke circle with all of our pillows and our friends around us. So I'm gonna finish this beer. Finish here. your warm Budweiser. <laughs> it's actually still a little bit cold, which is good. Which is better than what was probably happening with those beers in Vietnam. By the time getting we getting got north. <laughs> I think you'd mind too much, but uh yeah, probably getting a little warm. But you know what, that's okay. It's the thought that matters. Exactly. And so we'll see you in a couple weeks for episode twenty six. In the meantime, folks get money, get high, give love, and... Don't yank your buddy's chain. Don't yank the chain, not when they're having a deuce, not when they're having a a nothing, like, just Anything otherwise. Just don't do it. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked what you heard, please consider rating and reviewing on whatever platform you get your pods. It really does help us so much and also helps others find us and join our weekly history party. As for the socials, you can find us on Instagram at Hightailing History and on Facebook at Hightailing Through History or with the username at Hightailing History. You can contact us at Hightailing History Pod at gmail.com. Have a great week, folks.